This is Coda Radio, episode 241 for January 23rd, 2016. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, appointed and inaugurated every single Monday on the East Coast, why yes, is Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. We're living in urban jungles, it's terrible, and we're giving coding back to the forgotten coders. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna definitely make at least Coder Radio great this week because I, I feel like the, your entire week since last episode was spent assembling and amassing a war chest of ammunition against me to just basically attack me this entire episode. So I think it's going to be a good show. <laughs> I, I won't say that I've been plotting. Now, thankfully, we've been doing the old traditional format thing where we're padding it a little bit with feedback, which gives us a chance to uh, sound like reasonable adults before we get into yeah. the bickering and, and fighting. <laughs> I mean, that strongly depends on the feedback for sure. Yeah, OK, that's probably true. All right. So our first one came in this week from Sen. He's got a job. He's got a problem. He's got JavaScript replacement fatigue. You really struck a chord with me on Coder 240. All these JavaScript replacements are just that, replacements. They were relevant before ES6, but now why use them? I recently had an opportunity to write a small JavaScript UI library, and I did it with ES6. Am I saying that right, ES6? Yeah, ES6. Uh, Pure native ES6 code with classes. Yes, classes are actually useful too. I used to hate JavaScript with all my heart, but ES6 is really good enough to just write workable, useful code. I even use modules, which are not even standard yet. (laughs) I love this. But they solve problems I had now, he says. (laughs) With modules and classes, you end up with a really nice and modular code. Basically no different than good old Java structure. It really makes me happy. P.S. Angular 2 forcing TypeScript gets my rage going in very high quantities. (laughs) So what do you think? Is Sen Sen probably not alone, right, with the uh, fatigue of replacements? Just get over it. Yeah, well, not even that. Get over it, right? It's ECMAScript 6 or ES6 for all the cool people. Basically answers a lot of the problems people had with JavaScript. Mm. So once you're not maintaining legacy, so, you know, in like 2025, um, you can just use ECMAScript 6. Um, I, I, I will say he has that throwaway comment about TypeScript. I can't help but agree, and I, I still, I love Angular, but yeah, the whole TypeScript as a first-class citizen thing just rubs me the wrong way. It seems like it's solving like 2012's problem. Or somebody else's problems that they really want the you to use. That's always what it feels like to me. It's like, was there a business arrangement made here? I'm sure it's not like that, but it feels like No, that. I don't think it would be like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's more like Angular is a really big code base. And at the time, there were certainly some advantages of having like the, you know, the uh, classical inheritance, the type structure, all of the static typing rather. But now looking at ECMAScript 6, it's like, eh, but JavaScript is like JavaScript and it runs natively. Let's, you know, native to the browser, right? Let's, please don't send me your emails about Swift. Oh, um, oh Swift? Oh. Mm. oh. No. You ready no. to do Peter's email? 
I love Peter. Peter's, Peter, uh, Peter is a manager who, who really just wants to code. He says, I'm a quality manager for a manufacturing plant. Recently, I've been put in charge of the database administrator who manages the application side of our system. I'm, te- I'm a technology enthusiast, obviously, listen to this show, and uh, he's an amateur programmer. I don't want my enthusiasm to stifle or annoy them, so I'm trying to listen more and ask questions rather than be directive. What is the best way to manage a solo developer in an environment like a small business where they will be primarily creating a line of business applications? I'm less concerned about code review and things like that. What concerns me the most is how to develop their skills and challenge them. Can you recommend any resources that would help me direct them professionally so they can continue to grow as an application developer? Have either of you been managed by a non-developer? If so, what advice do you have for me? Yes, I definitely have. <laughs> That's what all clients are. Yeah. <laughs> Peter? Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> he, here's the deal, right? You can go really far with just some simple stuff. Uh a Jira board or a Trello board, anything that's like a Kanban board where you have tickets on the left, estimates on them, and they move to the right over some period of time. Now, I recommend a week or two weeks. Anything more than that, um, I think it gets hard to estimate with. And you just run sprints, right? You have a meeting on Monday, a meeting on Friday, see where you ended up. I'm fairly against daily stand-ups for management purposes. Mm. Though if you want to do them for like informational purposes, that's fine. Uh, and, and I think that's an important distinction because I, I've worked with a lot of organizations that do daily standups with distributed teams in different time zones. And I always feel bad for the dude in California who like just woke up because it's, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. Oh God, that time. was always, always, and always the case. Cause they, they, nobody on oh, the West coast is the last to wake up in the U S. And so everybody's already been at work sometimes for a couple of hours <laughs> when I'm waking up. Or it can be the opposite, right? If it's stand-ups at the end of the day, and I'm like, it's, I'm like, well, it's 5.30 here, so uh, you're actually annoying me by going on and on and on and on with this call. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I, I just don't think a day is a long enough delta of time to get meaningful stuff done. But a week certainly is, right? And I think a week is a good balance between keeping track of the project and where it's going and not like making your developers feel like you're, you know, they're living in a nanny state where someone's sitting over them. Micromanaging. I, right. I mean, it, it, you know, certainly if your developers or your developer, since it's just one in this case, can't, and I know this really isn't your problem, but just in general, my whole philosophy on like sprints, it's one thing to have one bad sprint where you're like going through stuff and there was unexpected complications. But if bad sprints are the norm, then there's definitely a problem. Here's, Okay. So here's what I would say too. If you're coming into an environment like this where there's already an existing person who's been doing a job and now you're managing them all of a sudden, uh, they very rightly have probably reasons to be skeptical of you and uh, skeptical of any new processes you want to implement because, look, they've been doing their job for a while. They didn't need you coming up with processes before. They don't certainly need it now. That's going to be their take and their opinion on it. So come at it with that understanding potentially. I'm not saying it is the case, but be aware that it could be their position. And I would say when you do want to introduce like a new process – like meetings or um, a project management solution, I would encourage you to not and, and not do it in a way that is talking down to them, but say, really, this is to enable you, this is to better illustrate what you do, so the company understands your value. 
help them understand that it's to make the business better. It's to make the business understand what he does to make both of you guys in a, in a position where you're better in sync and better communication so you can easily and correctly answer and set expectations for what his work is because the better you're informed, the better you can set expectations amongst management, the more buffer you can buy him in situations if you guys are in sync. So, you know, make sure you position any changes you want as these are designed to improve the workflow. And by the way, I respect your knowledge. And if you feel like it's not working, we can change things. It's not set in stone. You guys could probably develop something pretty, pretty, pretty much in sync with what works with both of you. And by you getting more exposure and better communication, you'll automatically understand the technology better that he's working with. Your enthusiasm will keep you informed on what he's on that work. You'll become closer to the work that he's doing. You'll probably become become more informed. So it's good for both of you as long as it as long as it goes over well. It can be tricky when you come in when there's somebody who's already been doing that job for a while. And now all of a sudden you're their boss. Well, I, you know, I think a good way to look at it is like process should be the developer's friend, right? You're, you're, you should only implement processes to help developers. If you feel like you're implementing a process to, you know, I, I make sure, quote unquote, they're doing their job, then that sounds more like someone needs to be fired, right? And in Peter's case of wanting to like learn more about development, that type of weekly sprint or biweekly sprint process will actually be very, uh, very helpful just because you get information in chunks where you can start understanding yeah. things. You know, yeah. it's okay to ask questions, say, I don't know what kind of work he's doing, but if he says, oh, I'm using NUnit on this .NET project to do unit testing, well, just ask him, well, so what is NUnit? And then, you know, when you go back to your desk, Google it, right? Look it up. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. Um, I, so he asked if he asked if he, Eva, either, either of us have ever been managed by non-developers. Obviously, that's the case. But <clears throat> I wanted to talk about an experience I had, not when I was a contractor, but when I was an employee, for at the time, it was the coolest startup idea ever for busy people. Um, it was this company, and I don't think they're around anymore. So, I'm, And if they are, it's definitely not the same company. So I'm going to name names, too, because I, I think they went defunct. But I worked for a, a nationwide company called Dinners Ready. Wait, no, no, Dream Dinners. Dinners Ready was their competitor. It was Dream Dinners. Jeez, it's been a long time. Dream Dinners. And they were um, based right out of here in Snohomish, Washington, right in my backyard, and I built out their Linux infrastructure to support all of the online ordering and the web serving and the LDAP and SQL databases that went with all of that. And it was a constant, constant growth period for them. We started like in one room with a couple of servers, and you know, within six months we had annexed an entire area of the basement and created a, a data center. Um, it, was a, uh, it was a really fun process, and during all of that, one of my favorite managers of all time, her name was Elaine, she, she, was, she was not a necessarily a technical person. She was one of the friends of, I believe this is the case, a friend with one of the owners and just sort of worked her way up in the company. And because the company was growing really fast, all of a sudden they needed an IT person. And Elaine was kind of the person that had fixed the computers around the office. And so Elaine all of a sudden was in charge of IT. And she quickly need, realized she needed to grow out her IT staff to bring in experts. I was running the, the back end stuff. And she wasn't an IT person directly herself. I mean, she could troubleshoot some basic Windows things. But she was able to build a relationship of trust and good, solid communication. And when I told her we're at capacity with these systems, we do need them to spend $30,000, she believed me. And we worked together to create proposals that the, that the owners were comfortable with. And it was more of a collaboration 
but she was obviously, you know, she had the final say. And I really liked that relationship. And I never at once at one time felt it was a mistake by the uh, management to put her in there since she, even though she didn't have IT experience. But I'll tell you what happened is an efficiency group came in and they wrote up a whole bunch of recommendations. And one of the recommendations was they replace the IT manager with an experienced IT person. So they brought in a guy from Boeing who I had major personality conflicts with. None, not even the least of which was he wanted to replace all of the Linux infrastructure that was in place and working good. And even the code had gone through an audit and was like came out looking good. The PA, it was all PHP based. All came out looking good. Everything was looking good. Performance was good. But this guy back then didn't think that Linux had a future. Because at Boeing, they used Windows in this in his division, and he said he, that's the, and that's a good local company. Microsoft's a good local company. We're going to go Windows. We're going to go Exchange. We're going to go Active Directory. We're going to replace all of this stuff. And I just I wasn't having it. I, I wasn't working. I was no longer in a position in my in my career where I was going to I was converting people from from Windows to Linux. I was not going to go Linux to Windows. I just didn't want to do that work. And so right. I that's when I actually quit and became a contractor uh, and started going around and taking on clients. And that sort of experience where the actual technical person came in and began to run the IT department, it ruined it. We had a whole bunch of people leave. I, I was uh, I was um, one amongst a few guys that left because it was just awful. Our, our main developer left. It, the, basically, the only guy that stayed was the, was the desktop guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always found that with uh, technical people, particularly on the client side or managers involved in a project, there is a... You know, non-technical people don't know enough to care how things are done. So they, they don't have a dog the in the hunt. They don't have a side. Right. They don't have a bias. You know, they just want the orders to be processed through the purchasing system, right? Um, um, that's just an example, obviously. But technical people sometimes have, like, weird hang-ups about things. Like, um, um, I need you to use this specific, you know, library that they love. Yeah, yeah. That, that can get And, you know, when this I, guy – the other thing is when this guy came in, he had his own hardware rep and he had his own licensing yeah. reps, which I had spent years building out these relationships. And then I just had to kick him to the curb. It was, it was, it was rough. Although one quick thing. One of my, also, one another great manager I had when I was an employee was a very technical manager. He was a – was, we had a lot of fun. We used to prank each other on Linux systems and all – I mean so there is the other end of the spectrum where it can also be extremely rewarding to work with a, with a full team that has a complete technical understanding. So it's worth getting up to speed if you have the enthusiasm for it, Peter. Yeah, it, it could be very fun for you, Peter. So, so Chris, should we do Patrick's? Because this has sort of been oh, this is what I think uh, we should. it's Patrick's fault that I basically lost my entire morning. That's all Patrick's fault. It's oh, but, oh go ahead, Chris. So Patrick uh, sends into the show uh, a way for me to potentially run Final Cut on KVM uh, using obviously KVM under Linux. I think now Patrick is assuming this is possible, but I'm I'm in the process of looking into it. So you guessed it. You're running Mac OS, either Sierra or El Capitan in a QMU and a KVM. And he goes, this GitHub page is actually, he linked us to, is a is the collection of work by a whole bunch of people. It's It's the slickest, smoothest, most straightforward way to create an ISO image from the Mac OS Sierra or uh, El Capitan installer to set up the uh, KVM virtual machine and set up the hardware info. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven different individuals contributed to this guide. And then there's also just a ton of open source code like the uh, bootloader and whatnot that it uses. So you can run Sierra or you can run El Cap depending on what CPU version you specify. And in the, the instructions, they use El Cap, but it appears to be just a small tweak 
for CPU model from Core 2 Duo to Penryn if you want to use uh, Sierra. And uh, you go through, they tell you how to set up the hard drives, they go through the whole installation and all of that. The only thing it doesn't tell you how to set up, and it does not appear to be covered in this guide, is how, do you, how you, you would do GPU pass-through. It doesn't appear to have full GPU acceleration. I'm not sure about this, so I actually have down, I've been downloading the Sierra installer this morning. I set up a, I've been setting up uh, my uh, boxes on my machine upstairs because that's what I'll probably use as my front end. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to give it a try anyways, even though it does not appear to have GPU acceleration. If it does not have solid GPU acceleration, like full-on just using the NVIDIA driver with OpenCL, I'm out of luck because... Final Cut uses the 3D, sorry, the GPU for all of the effects rendering, even even some transcoding tasks. It uses the GPU, so you you cannot even start the application on a system that doesn't have full all boxes checked GPU acceleration. Not just OpenGL, but like OpenCL and everything's got to be working, including whatever they use on the back end for core video and all that stuff. All whatever little registers say everything's good to go have to say good to go, or else Final Cut doesn't even open. But I'm going to try it. Because damn, if it could work, if you can do if when you do hardware pass through, you essentially get the full performance of the hardware. It's an incredible, incredible performance. And so, I would I would think you could go out and get a monstrous, monstrous laptop, like a fully spec'd out Oryx or a Bonobo, and then run KVM on there with OS ten, and it would probably spank any MacBook. So I don't know. I'm even this guy doesn't talk about GPU pass through, so I might try going through and doing the GPU pass through on my own. Right. So what does this mean? Was Patrick right, or is it did it not? Well, work? I think it's no. I haven't tried it yet because I was down. It took okay. a little bit to download. Uh, right, right, right. Sierra, but I think um, if you wanted to run OS 10 with an application that didn't require GPU acceleration, just this guide it alone would work. would work. Yeah. So, if you don't but, have but, an AMD CPU, it looks like. Okay, and, and your stated problem is that it's impossible to stream on Linux, right? No, my, no, 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 no. My stated problem is it's impossible to run Final Cut on Linux. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Damn, I thought I had you. Uh, now, if uh, if no, you know, we're streaming right now on Linux. This show, this show. Um, yeah, I don't know about this, but I'm gonna give it a shot because boy, would I love it to work. And if if I can figure out GPU pass through somehow or another. I've also I also had a recommendation for Unraid because Unraid does this basically what right. this guy does with a series of checkboxes, including GPU pass through is just a checkbox, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, there's a couple other cool things uh, in referenced in this too, like um, other other guides for running it um, in in virtualization, and one specifically for running El Capitan on Unraid. You can download Unraid for free to try it. And then uh, install. I, that the thing is, it would all have to be portable and all of that stuff. Why don't we get into your adventures though in Video Land uh, first? Though I'll mention our first sponsor this week, and it is the very clever folks over at ScaleYourCode.com. And boy, are they clever! Not just because of the folks behind it, but also because of the people they talk to. It's a resource that surrounds you with industry experts who share their knowledge on scalability, performance, and reliability. You can see how experts run their platforms and get an inside look at how companies grow their infrastructure and solve difficult engineering problems. Go over to scaleyourcode.com, and then right there on the front, they have a spot where you can pop your email address in, so that way you get updates when they have a new interview posted, new tutorials and things like that. Check out this one that just went live, Stack Exchange Engineering with Nick Craver. 
He's the software developer and systems administrator for, yeah, Stack Exchange. That's amazing. What an incredible resource to be able to talk to, and that's over at scaleyourcode.com. You get access to the interviews and all that stuff. Just sign up right there. Put your email address in there. Get part of the newsletter when something new. There's also some other great interviews I've talked about previously on the show. So dig through there because there's new ones being added all the time. So go take a look. Oh, I like – you know, I kind of like the idea of just sitting back on an, on an afternoon like on Friday and just watching a few of these. I think that could be super, super well, time well spent, especially like if I have it on my second monitor while I'm working. Man, that's totally what I'm going to do this Friday. You can learn how others run their tools in production, learn from the mistakes they've made so you don't have to. Go to scaleyourcode.com, sign up, get new alerts about, e- about the new interviews and tutorials when they're posted, and learn more at scaleyourcode.com. So nice to learn from engineers directly, not just about the technology that they've implemented, but also about the cultures they've created too, which might be very useful for folks like Peter that just emailed in. ScaleYourCode.com. Okay, Mr. Dominic. So uh, you had some experiences in Linux video land this weekend. Uh, what were you doing? What was going on I over there? I did. I started a YouTube channel. What? <laughs> what? Now, it's not like the webcam show I used to do. Oh. No, I'm kidding. Man, I, spent, I sunk a lot of money into that, so what the hell? I yeah. was expecting some results. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, you didn't get the premium membership. Uh, so it is going to be a little more focused on enterprise technology. It's for, obviously, Buccaneer. And the really sexy thing, Chris, is I did all of this on the System76 Lemur. Oh, really? That's nice. Yes. Did you use any particular uh, fancy software to pull it all off? I mean, how uh, is this OBS, process? Open Broadcast. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. That's what we're using yeah. right now to stream this show. Boom. It's all freedom, baby. Wow, that's that's all pretty freedom. cool, huh? And were you able to do, like, screen capture and stuff like that? Like, what, what did you have going on? Uh, I can. I wasn't super prepared, and I kind of started this on a whim, so I did it actually as a live stream in OBS. I was very – in fact, you can hear there's a mistake I make because I don't realize it's live yet, so I say hello twice. <laughs> my, my yeah, quality. that's amazing. I love it. That's all the newbie stuff. It's so great. That's, a, yeah. that's so common, though. That's so common. And I will be going live again tomorrow. What? No. Oh, yes. You, you kid. Also broadcasted I, from GNU slash Linux? Also from GNU slash Linux, baby. Yeah. Not even Linux, Linux. That's good. At roughly, I think, 1130. So where is this YouTube channel, this new this new YouTube channel I go to? Well, because the Google gods don't know that I'm a real person yet, it is YouTube slash some crazy string that they oh, came yeah, up sure. with. Oh, yeah, sure. This is easy to remember. UCVN5. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I requested a URL that makes sense, and they're like, we'll get back to you on that. Yeah. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes. How about that? Yeah. I really, and, and subscribe. It's going to be good. And you get to see my beautiful face. You know, what you need is uh, you need some lights in, in, uh, in front of your face, but not in front of the camera, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, lighting. I, I immediately noticed that lighting was an issue, and I'm trying to – so there was one problem. The I'm worried about performance if I do the screen share and the video because I want to do like picture in picture, which I did figure out how to do, but I'm not – I noticed the YouTube Live, the frame rate's not awesome. Well, that's probably because of low light. Because your camera, when it uh, is compensating for uh, low light, the frame rate goes down. 
Oh, does it? So yeah. it's just the room was newly lighted. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm trying to find. There's a. You know what? I would depending on your setup. What was? It's actually lights like this one that I'm putting up on the stream that are like the the paper lamps that uh, can go right on the desk. Those are really those are really cheap and easy ways to get lighting okay. that works nice with webcams that doesn't make you look super pale because what the problem is is LED and fluorescent if they're not meant for studio lighting can make you look like a ghost. Yeah, you have the essence of Dracula going on. Yeah, so these are a little warmer, and because the uh, way the webcam's white balance, it'll probably just look just about right. So it's these are uh, any kind of any kind of like the paper paper desk lamp, like the ones from IKEA, or you can get them on okay. Amazon. And you know what? If you can put one on each side of the monitor, it's, that's even better. Okay. Like, okay, so I'll have to try that out. Yeah. Awesome sauce. Anything that lighting is the number one thing you can right. do to make you can have. Uh, you can have a like here's a this is a little this one's fifteen dollars and it's even kind of it's kind of decorative too because it's it's got wood. So this is a ori this is a oriental original bamboo lamp. So there's all kinds. There and then if you have room, you can do, do like these these taller ones like this is an IKEA one. It's twenty three dollars and if you could put one on each side of your desk or something like that, that would give your give you a lot of nice warm light. Yeah, I'll put a link to, to it. I'm, I'll put a link yeah, to the big one. Yeah, in the show notes, just yeah. in case other people. It's also nice for photos. And things like that. Um, Sweet. Yeah, you want it to look like a nice professional op, right? And uh, yeah, you know, I really think you can with a with good lighting, you could actually you'd never really need to go beyond a decent webcam with good lighting. Yeah, I don't think you do. In fact, even the built-in mic wasn't bad. I was I was surprised how far I got just like unclamshell moding the lemur and yeah. going for it. Nice. Yeah, that makes it much more doable when you make it simpler yeah. like that. Yeah, it sort of makes it less friction. Friction. All right. Well, cool. So we'll have a link to uh, Mike's uh, YouTube channel and also the light that you could get or get one that goes on the desk, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And then if you want to go really crazy, if you want to go nuts, you could put a Lifex bulb, L-I-F-X, I think it is, in the background. And that it's like 80 bucks, 60 bucks, something in that range. And you, it's like a Hughes light, but for significantly less money, it doesn't require a hub. And then just a little color in the background really gives you some dimension. Like if I do, I have this shot active right now. No, I don't. If I, I wonder if I could pull up my webcam shot, just so it's in the studio right now, because it kind of illustrates the point. Do I have it? Yes. Yeah, so here, this shot. So you see how this right here is blue behind me. Right. It makes it look so much cooler. And this is a hue uh, hue light that I can actually, I can just sit here with a little toggle and alter the color, and it gives oh, wow. it it gives a shot a lot more pop. Right. So it's a really – it's a real clever, easy easy hack because it's like one light, right? And you don't have – this is – the Lifex ones are super cheap. So, yeah. Ah, little things. you fancy. Little, little tricks. Little tricks with Chris. Little make tricks you, of the Because, you know, honestly, I, uh, I saw today something <clears throat> that blew me away, Mike, and I think it's – what you're doing is – is it might not be directly profitable. It might be even hard to grok the benefit, and it's a huge time investment. So it's really you really got to gauge if it's worth it or not. But holy crap, is it is it's amazing. Like the the presence on YouTube, the branding and the tone it can set. I'll give you an example. I noticed today that the Miami police force. Hi there. Hello there. Hi there. Hello there. I'm going to mute because I don't know how to stop that. <laughs> Make it stop. The Miami police force has a vlog. The freaking Miami police force has a vlog. In the morning with the rising sun. Gonna run all day until the running gets done. 
morning, everybody. So why do I think this is amazing and great? Because it sets the conversational tone for anybody that's watching this on a regular basis. They get they get a better understanding and insight into how this police department works, how they work. Now, the vlog is one aspect, is one way to do it. It's something I'm trying right now on my channel. But what you're doing by setting – by, by establishing a channel where you can talk about topics, maybe be seen as an authority if you're covering something technical or you're doing a how-to or walk-through, it adds credibility when you're dealing with your clients. You can you can use the YouTube channel once it's well-populated as a resource for them. You can refer them to that. You can also cite it as an example of your work. It's, it's I think it adds a ton of credibility to an organization and a presence online on a very, very active social network, which is YouTube. That's my point. Plus, when you're generating content, there's more likely people are sharing things about you. So if Buccaneer is creating content and then sharing it on Twitter, then there might be more people retweeting that and sharing that stuff about Buccaneer, about about what Mike's talking about. It's it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like the strategy that a lot of a lot of folks have now, where they're on WhatsApp and they're on Instagram and they're on Twitter and they're on Facebook and they're on all these platforms that we all are get exhausted by. But at the same time. Each one of them is a different slice of audience. It's there's there is overlap to be sure, but not a lot of overlap. Instagram right now is nuts for this. Companies are jumping into Instagram like crazy and posting short videos and stories and all of this stuff, not because there's any direct relation to their business being on Instagram, but because it's like a it's like another avenue of customer they can advertise to. Just like television and radio are, so are all of these different platforms and YouTube is one of the biggest. And if you can be on YouTube and you can be producing content at some clip that's that's somewhat reliable and predictable and you can make good content that looks like you're taking your time and you're paying attention because people will see that and assume that translates to your other work as well and if you can pull all of that off it's a great branding opportunity end of rant did you unmute I don't hear that. No, that's good. That, oh, okay. that also sounds cool. So yeah, All I think right. I think you're I think you were wise, Mr. Dominic, to at least experiment with this. I, you, no, I think it's I think it's the right way to go. Do you want um, to go down this uh, Zamarian confession, or do you want me to do our next spot? You ready? I think you should do a spot, and okay. then we should do a book pick. All right, you get yourself settled over there. Report yourself settled. a fresh beverage. Oh my gosh, Mike! Water today. Oh, I've been I've been nothing but water for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then I think about Coda Radio, and I think. I should have gone to the. I should have gone to the store. There's a the the, the Denise runs this uh, this little handy slot, this little handy store down the road from me, and they got a beer cave there. And I thought I should have stopped in there and grabbed a couple of brews. So I feel better if you're not drinking nothing super fancy today. At least, at least we're both on water. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, I come to work. I should probably do some work today and not drink beer. You know what I will tell you about, though, and you could be drinking a beer while you're trying it out because the interface is so dang easy, DigitalOcean. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. It's one word, lowercase. You apply it after you've created your account in the payment section, and you get a $10 credit. Oh, yeah. And if you already have an account, you can apply it, too, and then go create a rig. You can spend it up in seconds. And if you only want to pay $5 a month, you'll be amazed at the machine you get. Tons of performance. All the drives are SSDs, regardless of the system you choose. They have... They have rigs that start at 512 megs of RAM and go all the way up to like 220-something gigs of RAM. Everything is SSD-based. So if you go in with the $5 a month rig, all the way up to the maximum dog. It's all the same super fast storage. All 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors. Data centers all over the world and that same amazing API to manage all of it. I'm, I am a huge fan of the interface they've created. But I got to say, when it comes to day-to-day use of our DigitalOcean infrastructure, and we got a lot of systems that we just pop on and off, the API is the way to go. It's intuitive. It's well documented. I think they must use it for their own, for the back end for their own UI. 
The other thing that's really nice about DigitalOcean is they have highly, highly available block storage, which you can attach up to your droplet as you need it up to 16 terabytes. Woo! If you're working in Teams, you can easily manage your infrastructure with Teams and you can invite others to it. And look at this hourly pricing. For three cents an hour, two gigs of RAM, a two-core processor, 40 gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer. Oh, also, DigitalOcean has launched sign-up for their new load balancing system. Scale your applications and improve your availability for your users. This makes so much sense. Balancers will automatically distribute incoming traffic across the infrastructure. They're managed entirely from within the DigitalOcean control panel or the API. Brilliant. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODER. Digital. It's all one word. You apply it to your account. You get the ten dollar credit at digitalocean.com. Thanks for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. So we have a Got few a more things. load balancer. So I so I think we should wrap up with a book pick. Going full old school. Today. Oh, you all right? No confession. I'm fine. I'm no fl- confession. I'm, I'm going to save it for next week, Father. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I haven't done my active contrition yet. <laughs> this is going to be a short show for us. You know, we started late. We did, I know. Unfortunately, mo- today was a case of the Mondays. That's all right. It's okay because I, I fully understand sometimes a Monday is a hard day to record. You know, I myself have run into it a, f- a few challenges sometimes. I, myself. I blame those rabbit swift developers. Uh, you know, uh, why not? I think it's yeah, also, I, mean, I think it's the cabal over at Perfect. I think that's what it is. It's, it's poor it's, vapor. <laughs> I know. Poor, poor vapor. I tried to even give it a plug yesterday on last, but I couldn't remember its name. <laughs> I was talking to somebody like, oh, you mean like, the perf the oh vapor yeah it's not a knockoff of perfect i was like oh no that's that's gotta hurt guys that mm, not feeling good about that one so this is a great book pick the imposter's handbook i love this book i just finished it it's by rob connery who uh used to do a show whose name i don't remember because i'm a jerk oh my god he used to run tech pub okay uh geez what the hell is the name of his show that will be a mystery until next week when I look it up. Yeah. Somebody, he, yeah maybe somebody help you and put it in the comments. That'll if make it easy. Somebody could help me. That would be great. <laughs> this is a book designed for anybody who is a developer but doesn't have a CS or mathematics background, right? Okay. You know, those of us with, all, with our medieval literature degrees. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not kidding. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I have to say, I learned a lot. Like, it was really good. I've been doing this for a long time, too. And I was like, oh, so that's what those bitches are whining about. That's funny. I mean, it, a lot of the stuff still doesn't pass the doesn't matter when I have four gigs of RAM test. Yeah. Okay. But okay. <laughs> it's good to know. I mean, it, it's certainly helpful. Um, I think this is a absolute must read. I would say for anybody, but particularly if you don't have a mathematics background, and, you know, if you're doing front-end, like, web development, app development, yeah, it's going to seem a little, well, why do I care about this? But you're going to care. I mean, it, it's just helpful. It'll let you stand uh, toe-to-toe when people try to test you a little bit. It's, uh, I might take it to every conference I go to as, like, a crash course. It's really good. It, I can't recommend it enough. My only problem is that I can only buy it in PDF form, and... Rob Connery thinks I have like I have twenty twenty vision and I can barely read it on my iPad. What are you tell he says it's a, he says it's available in uh, Kindle format. You got to manually load it on the Kindle or something. Is that the problem? Oh, I, it must be manual because yeah. when I bought it, it's a PDF link. Yeah, well, yeah, because he says it's a, it's available in EPUB or Mobi, which makes me think that you're going to get a Mobi file and not. Uh, uh, it's probably okay, so you know, but there's like a dozen different ways to get that on the Kindle. Well, we can go offline, and you can tell me the hacky ones. <laughs> yeah. 
Because I don't even know what my weird Kindle email address is anymore. That's, that, that was, was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, that's a long time ago, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I, I think it's going to be, you know, for thirty bucks, it's a great read. And I th- think that there was a promo link somewhere that I can't find. But Google around for that. So it's the Imposter's Handbook. The it's Imposter's 30 bucks. Handbook. Thirty bucks. And uh, it's at bigmachine.io, but the URL is kind of long, so we'll yeah, just... we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Thank you. All right. That does look like a super good purchase, and uh, they make it like uh, like I was saying in EPUB too. So if you do want to just put it on whatever reading device you likes, that's where you can get it. Now we just need somebody to read the audible for you. You should do the audible reading for him, dude. That'd be great, don't you think? Can I do it in Russian accent? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. All right. Well, with that filed. We're going to wrap up this week's coder so Mike can go get back to business. I'm probably going to go do some barbecue because I'm still hungry. But thank you for joining us this week. If you'd like to join us live for even more show, go over to jblive.tv on a Monday. We do it at noon Pacific. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it converted to your local time. Oh, and you want to get that feedback? We'd love to get your emails and your thoughts in here. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Oh, and content. Coderadio.reddit.com. We have a very own subreddit powered by you where you can submit links and topic ideas. And yes, of course, feedback. You can also find links to Mike in the show notes. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you right back here next week.